it's important to leverage that, you know, four or five years preemptive to when you get out. Because when you become quote unquote self-employed or you don't have a paycheck anymore, you know, if you have not built that credibility and net worth, you're really shooting yourself in the foot to kind of start when you're finished. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Robert Preston. Robert is a former Marine pilot who started investing in real estate while he was serving in the military, and today he is a professional real estate investor who focuses on RV park investing. Today, we walk through his journey starting in real estate with very little money and little time while he was in the Marines, getting started in wholesaling and flipping, transitioning into single and multifamily real estate investing to today, successful investing in RV parks. We dig into that strategy as well, how he locates and manages RV park deals and why they see opportunity in the RV park space and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to really enjoy it. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date I have invested in, partnered on, acquired, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. Really excited to bring this interview to you today. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because it helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you're hearing my voice right now, that means you're not listening to us and you're not viewing us on YouTube. And if you're interested in seeing the video and getting more content out of these interviews, check out our interviews on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. And if you enjoy the videos, please leave us a thumbs up and hit the notification bell so that we'll see you there and you can check out the video versions of these interviews. Our team puts a lot of work into editing those videos and they come out fantastic. You'll really enjoy them. Once again, our guest today is Robert Preston, former Marine pilot who now invests in RV parks. We're digging into that journey and how he finds opportunity in the RV park space. Without any further ado, here we go. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to talk about RV Park investing and your journey to get there. But before we do that, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Excited to be on today. I'll give the basics rundown. Grew up as a farm kid, went to college at Clemson University, from there into the Marine Corps, became Marine Corps pilot, Osprey pilot. Couple tours to Afghanistan, came back from that, started flipping houses. Houses led to mobile home parks, mobile home parks led to apartment complexes, apartment complexes led to RV parks. What's all the important metrics? Married, three kids, one adopted, one that were foster parents, got horses, I don't know, lots of other fun things. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service. And I'd love to dig into, obviously, we're going to get to the RV parks, but sure. You know, we talk with a lot of service members, both on you know bigger pockets, forums, things like that. And they're really wondering, how can I get into real estate investing? How can I make that first step in? Maybe they just got back from deployment or they're looking at retirement, something like that. And yeah, 
you were able to make the leap. Tell us about that first you know, step into real estate investing and, and flipping that you made. Yeah. So as a service member, right, one of the things that is extremely powerful from a real estate perspective is to remember the the whole, like the VA loan itself is a phenomenal way just to get started. So when you can go walk into a property and buy it with basically no money down using a VA, which, and, and still very, very good rates and terms, like that's something that has to be leveraged. So the very basics, you know, like you can buy up to a fourplex with a VA loan, buy it, live in it, refinance it traditionally, do that again, two or three times. And like, you know, within six years, you, you could have 12 units right off the bat. So that is a huge advantage. And then we have a phenomenal network of people and like-minded stuff that you can generally trust and you have that cohesion. So that's always been a very powerful thing for me is to be able to either work with or invest with or et cetera, just other like-minded service members that you have a, you know, a, a, what's the word? You have an ingrained level of trust with each other. So those are two huge things that I utilize to get moving. Nice. Okay. So did you, you start with a VA loan and then get into flipping? I mean, what, what was that initial like foot in the door of yeah. flipping? Yeah. I wish I'd kind of thought it through more in the beginning, but <laughs> the VA loan I used was just basically to buy a house that I lived in. And then after I moved out of that one, I realized, wait a second, if I refinance this, I can use this VA loan again. And so then I bought another house to live in. And then the previous one became a rental, et cetera. So in hindsight, I should have bought like a duplex or triplex or quadplex instead of just a single family house. So I learned my lesson to, to do that. The flipping thing for me came, came out of, I was in Afghanistan in 2012, did a lot of reading there, you know, made some life changes, decided to change the trajectory of my life coming out of that. And one of it was different way to make money. And so the flipping thing came because I had made a lot of dumb decisions financially <laughs> preempted to that, you know? And so I had the jet skis and I had the brand new truck and I had all this stuff and all the debt and all this stuff. And so I had no cash. And as I learned, like, basically you got to have some type of cash. So wholesaling and flipping was the quickest way to make chunks of cash that then leveraged back into the the passive residual monthly rental income side of it. Okay. So you were doing those flip deals to generate capital to invest. At what point did you decide, okay, I got to stop this flipping stuff and move yeah. into something else? So another, another great question. So for me, you know, at this point I had started wholesaling, wholesaling led to, which took, takes a lot of marketing time. You know, it's a lot of traveling, a lot of deal, deal stuff. So that led to I wanted to get away from the wholesaling and that led to flipping, which again is better money in, in my case, but it was still very time intensive. It took a lot of time. And then I was, you're very dependent on the next deal. Like I, I've got to find the next house, the next great deal to do that. I didn't like that reoccurring stuff. And so I sat down and said, Hey, we need some rental, rental property at that time. You know, I was really only thinking about houses as rental property. My just hadn't expanded my horizon there. Did the math of how much I wanted to make per month and how many houses that was going to take to buy. I was like, man, that is like a lot of houses. That's like 43 <laughs> houses. And that sounds like it's going to take me a long time. How do we do this? And so about the same time I'm driving down the road, I look over to the, to the left and there's a mobile home park. And I'm like, wait a second, that's a whole lot of houses. There's a for sale sign on it. And so I call them and that's how we made the switch from you know, flipping houses to commercial real estate essentially was never really got too far into the single family house rental. It was realizing how many houses I'd have to own. Therefore, I need to buy the, a bunch of them at once. 
it makes a lot of sense. And I made a, a, a similar journey that led me into apartment investing, but you got into apartments and then transitioned to RV parks. So let's dive yeah. into to RV parks. I want to make sure we have enough time to discuss you know, various okay. pros and cons of RV park investing. So first off, you know, why invest in RV parks? Why did, why did you go to that? Well, this, this might be a little bit longer story. So the mobile home parks, again, remember, you know, we, I started out with no cash, had credit because of my profession, but no cash, no stuff. So built over time there. So basically what we were buying from the multifamily side and even the, on the mobile home park side of it was fairly distressed, you know, definitely C-class, sometimes D-class stuff. We bought one out of foreclosure, receivership, et cetera, like pretty, pretty hard deals. And it took a lot of capital, took a lot of time. Those, those were very rewarding when we finished them, but you know, there was not the most fun clientele or most fun properties to deal with. And so that's fine because we were making good money. And then for, for us, 2020 happened and preemptive to even COVID, we started to see the prices in the competition from the buyer side really, really expand from guys like like you and I from from syndicators and stuff. And and what I saw there was some super aggressive, if unrealistic, underwriting and having to purchase thing on purchase things on next year's performer or two years performer. And that was something we just weren't willing to do to to be that speculative. And so that started to really slow us down on what we were buying because of the underwriting became very difficult and we're, we were very commonly outbid on deals. And about the same time, you know, at that point we owned, we owned about six apartment complexes in 2020 and as well as another five mobile home parks. And then the eviction moratorium happened and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's not, it's not a political thing, but at, at some point we realized essentially I don't have control over my property anymore. You know, I don't, I might be the owner. I might have to pay the insurance. I might be on the hook for the mortgages and all these other stuff. But at this point, I don't have control of this property anymore. I can't do that. And so most properties very well. I had one that the tenants, you know, they played the system and said, I'm not paying, I'm not doing it. And, and that was sort of a pivotal moment mentally for me. That was that like, there's even, no matter how much money you're making, sometimes the stress and headache of some certain things are not worth it. And so coincidentally, we had bought our first RV park in February of 2020, and that was a bit of an experiment. It was a small one. You know, we bought it with our own money, no investors involved, and just kind of learned and played with that one. I left the Marine Corps from full-time active duty July 1st of 2020. We had bought a motorhome, loaded up. At that time, we were fostering six kids, four kids. We had six kids total. I don't remember mine, <laughs> someone else's. So we loaded up the six kids, oldest being the age six, the golden retriever, and hooked the van behind it and spent about two months on the road RVing up and down the, the East Coast Appalachian Mountains and stuff. In that process, I found the second park to buy, one of the parks we stayed at. And so from there, it's like a lot of things happened. A lot of, I fell in love as a customer and the culture, I guess you could say, of, of RVers. And subsequently came back, talked to my partner, Jeremy you know, in the kind of middle of 2021 and said, man, this is kind of dumb. We're, there's a phenomenal opportunity in RV parks and it's untapped potential. It's something we like to do. It's enjoyable. There's a lot less, call it government intervention. Why don't we just take this same system of management and syndication and funding and put it on this asset class that there's not very many people doing. And so we made a hard pivot then and said, hey, let's go full bore into that and let's buy up every decent RV park in the U.S. that we can. 
Awesome. Wow. So thanks for bringing us up to speed. One thing I want to highlight in there, and there were a lot of great things in there, but to kind of go back to when you retired, you had been investing in real estate through various strategies before, for years, yeah. before you actually retired from the military. And I think that's from, from talking with service members and you know making friends and everything, I think that's one of the limiting beliefs that I see kind of recur yeah. in a lot of us, right? We all have limiting beliefs, right? But I'm going to wait till I retire or what have you. And, and you didn't do that, which I think is really interesting and inspiring. You went for it anyway. Yeah. And going back to your very first question, like what is some of the advantages from the military? Like when you've got a government paycheck, you have a lot of lending banking credibility. And so it's important to leverage that, you know, four or five years preemptive to when you get out. Cause when you become quote unquote self-employed or you don't have a paycheck anymore, you know, if you have not built that credibility and net worth, you're really shooting yourself in the foot to kind of start when you're finished. One correction, I did not retire. I did 15 years, decided that this was going to be better. So I just left. Just left. Okay. Uh, pardon me for, I, no, I don't know no. all the nuances of leaving the military. Yeah. I don't, it's, it gotta, I don't want to offend someone and say, hey, that guy didn't retire. <laughs> From a civilian perspective, you know, it's, it's sure. to me, it's retirement, but I'll respect the actual literal difference. So, Okay. So RV parks to me seem like, I wonder how you, how you manage these things, right? So when we buy apartment complexes, they have enough scale. They have the actual, you know, building itself where we can just hire people to work at the property and manage it. When we buy self-storage facilities, they're not set it and forget it, but there are so many tools. It's lean law. It's not eviction law. There are many ways that we can kind of digitize that experience, but managing an RV park kind of seems like a mix of those. And I remember when I was a kid and we would go camping, granted at a state park in Pennsylvania, but they would basically give somebody a free spot to be what my family always called the park narcs to to be the (laughs) narcs in the the park. But owning a private RV park and and actually managing and making sure people are behaving and paying on time, all that thing. How do you, how do you handle that? Well, there lies the opportunity from an investor perspective, because to your point there, that is a huge barrier to entry. There are almost none. I mean, technically there are a few, but you know, when you buy your multifamily apartment complex, there are a plethora of management companies that will provide that entire service to you, staffing, et cetera. Right. And so that does not exist with, with RV parks. And then similarly, you know, to, to the mini storage or, you know, other triple net type leases that do, they honestly don't really require that much management expertise. And so those are easy, relatively easy to overcome. But with an RV park, you have, I would say, the worst combination of the both that you do <laughs> need to provide service. You do have to have staffing and there is no third-party service. And that's why, honestly, in my opinion, that the returns are so much higher and better than other asset classes is because it prohibits the vast majority of syndicators and operators from coming into that space. And fortunate enough for us, I'd love to say that we plan this out way ahead of time, but it was a bit of just dumb luck. We had started already building a management company internal to our investment company. We always thought that we manage and do stuff better ourselves. And so we started building the employee structure and management structure internally with the mobile home parks and multifamily. So we had that sort of sitting on the shelf in place, learning there with things that are not unique. And then when we started buying the RV parks, we realized that we had to manage them. And so again, tweak the system a little bit, modify it a little bit, but essentially built out a relatively robust property management company that's internal to the investment company that now 
we have to self-manage everything we own. And so that's kind of the starting premise is that we we can buy parks that most people can't because we can't manage them without there. If you looked at most RV parks, they're primarily owner operated, which means a lot of times the owners literally live on the park many times and they have a couple part-time guys. And so when that owner is removed, obviously that's that's a lot of talent. So for us, we we really strive on hiring a unique set of people, put them as a general manager, and then they do utilize the campo, the work campers, the, you know, what did you call them? I forgot. The park knocks. That's what, park we, knocks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what they call so, them. So we utilize them on a part-time basis and they do a lot of the odds and ends and stuff, but we have one at least full-time employee there on each park. <laughs> Well, I hope some of my family listens to this episode and, you know, gets the the reference from oh, yeah. uh, growing up. But okay, so you mentioned, you know, starting having to starting to build this system, sure, property management system for your apartment complexes and then transitioning over to RV parks, there were changes you had to make. Mm-hmm. And I, I picture in my mind kind of a Venn diagram okay. of property management where in the middle you have the the common systems and processes and people and those kinds of things that kind of are common between the two. And then on the sides where you don't have the Venn diagram overlap, you have yeah. things that you need to manage an apartment complex that you don't need for an RV park. And on the other hand, you have things that you need to manage an RV park that you don't need to manage an apartment complex. I want to make sure I keep my term straight there. So when you're switching over to the RV park mm-hmm. from apartments, what did you find that you did need versus didn't need in the management space. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So so something in RV parks need that multifamily doesn't would be the idea of hospitality, right? And so, you know, not to be harsh, but with a multifamily asset, <laughs> you obviously have good customer service and you have leasing agents and stuff. But at the end of the day, that you're not running necessarily a business, quote unquote business, with daily thing. And so in an RV park, right, you have a a lot of times we have actual retail stores, you know, that are inside of the park that's selling ice and ice cream or whatever it is. And so you have that actual customer interaction and a lot of your customers may only be there a couple of days. And so you don't have the opportunity to kind of fix a bad interaction. So you've got to hire and change the type of people that are there to make sure that you're providing that hospitality perspective from the get-go, you know, Google reviews, Yelp, all that stuff matters. And so it's basically, you know, you're running a hotel that is outside and the rooms are parking lots instead of a a room. And so having a hospitality perspective with, you know, point of sale, even, even running a a small retail store is something you generally don't have on a multifamily side of that type of manager or person. Okay. So when you mention things like hospitality, my thought immediately goes to, man, that costs some money. Now a store should pay for itself. It should be Mm -hmm. making money, but they're probably... Are there other factors in that hospitality realm that wind up increasing your, you know, expense ratio and just kind of cost money? You know what I mean? Like so things that really hit the expense side more than the revenue side of your NOI. There are some things, but if we're talking about specific to personnel and payroll, you know, it's it's very similar criteria. So some of the same things as multifamily. We're not going to buy a park that can't support full time staff from a whether that's a pad count or revenue stuff, revenue, gross revenue, right? So. That's already budgeted in there into the payroll. It's in most of the time we're paying very similar, if not you know the same, maybe slightly less of a salary to as you would a general manager of a multifamily complex. And so payroll is really actually about the same. It's just finding a different type of person there. The beauty with an RV park is there might be some of those 
hospitality expenses, quote unquote, they are go up a little bit. But like you said, most of the time they pay for themselves. But on the flip side is I don't own anything but the dirt, right? And so my maintenance, my repair stuff is dramatically less. There's a lot less to insure. So I'm, you know, I'm in Florida, I've got an apartment complex, you know, that makes the same gross revenue that I'm paying $130,000 a year in insurance. I've got a park that has the same exact revenue and same NOI that I pay $18,000 a year in liability assurance. So, so there's a lot of things that most of the time really in the end, the RV parks actually have less expenses for me than my multifamily assets. That's true. That's a good point. And, and insurance in Florida is a good example of a, yeah. an expense that has gone up more than some people expected, shall we say, over the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. 100% is a little hard to underwrite. <laughs> so you mentioned needing to buy parks that have the scale to support these various expenses, whether by pad count or gross revenue. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, okay, what is that pad count or gross sure. revenue what target you aim for? Yeah. Again, very, actually very similar to multifamily. And so it's fairly easy for us to adapt here. It is going to be somewhat geographically dependent on sure. what is the market salary for that type of professional. But rough rule of thumb for us is about a half million dollars of gross revenue, which generally comes out to the, it generally comes out to about 75 to a hundred pad or sites or more, right? So that's kind of the, the minimum worth where the park can be feasible and operate on its own. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that we've seen over the years of, at least that I've been investing in real estate, and I think that this extends backward, but you know, it seems like the, the regular guy investor like you and me will discover an asset class and see how great it is. Say like mobile home parks weren't super popular there for a few years and then they got more popular and then the big yep. money guys started getting in and got a lot more interested. And yep. That happened with apartments as well. I think now apartments were already a little more popular with the big money guys. Do you see that kind of a thing happening with RV parks? I mean, you guys have kind of discovered that asset class. Do you see the big boys, the, the Wall Street money getting interested in RV parks and kind of compressing the returns or making it more difficult to compete? Yes and no. So, so we are, and, the, and the, I, I guess I would say, take a step back, like that is, that's honestly part of our business structure right now. And part of my general thesis is that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, this asset class will be just as institutionalized as mini storage has become over the last 30 years. Storage, and you can, another good you example. Can, yeah. You can actually go back and look at you know, let's look at the milestones for, for apartment complexes or mini storage or even mobile home parks. And it's almost like step by step where RV parks are following the exact same path and trend. Now, I think that we're, if you compared, I think mini storage, right, is probably the most recent asset class to be institutionalized. Let's make that assumption. And that probably really began in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then has, you know, dramatically increased over the next year. So, I see RV parks on that basically same trajectory, but I think that institutionalization started maybe two years ago and we're at the very beginning of that. And so part of our thesis is that that over time, whatever we held will be, we can bring that together and make a portfolio sale if we want to. Cap rates will go down. People will figure out how to manage it themselves. There are more hurdles and entries, which is slowing the process down, which is good for guys like you and I. But yes, absolutely. This is moving there. You see that in the Margaritaville resorts, you see that in Sun Properties, you can see, you know, there are several big, big players that are at the REIT level and they're expanding as fast as they can go. Wow. Well, seems like a interesting asset class. The more I learn about it, the more interesting I, I think it is and the more kind of opportunity it seems like there is. But, you know, always we need to be careful when getting into new things. Sure. 
Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I would say, man, best investment other than my education, dollars-wise, so far has been an RV park. Basically sold it for three times the value and two years later with little to no CapEx. It was a smaller park, so that makes things a little bit easier. So, And then the subcomponent, the twist to this is probably my actual motorhome because- <laughs> Because it's a legitimate business write-off expense now. Mm, And so now I get to travel the country in it, use it for the write-off, find more parks to buy, which generates more income, and I get to enjoy it with the family and the kids and life. So I'm going to go with the, I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to go with the motorhome. Great. Great. I love it. That's a great one. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. I have a guess as to what this might be, but I'm not sure. What is the worst investment you ever made? So technically that would be a multifamily asset that I alluded to earlier today. That's going to turn out for us basically at a break-even point. We'll we'll kind of break even, which is not horrible to be your worst investment, but yeah, just the, the heartache and stress and headache that it's been over the last couple of years. There's a lot of reasons why, but but that's going to be it for for me right now. Interesting. Well, that's a bummer. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, probably pretty cliche, but that's easily for me, people having the right people, either as part of your team or even on the deal structure, partnering and stuff, partnering with the right people. So I've been burnt once with a bad partner and that ended with theft and stealing and all kinds of stuff. And so that was a really hard lesson to learn. Luckily, I learned it when I was by myself and doing it with a single family house flip. But, you know, since then, trusting my gut with the person, making sure that their life matches their story and basically underwriting people. If you got the right people, you can get through a lot of other problems. Great. Wow. Well, that is a tough lesson to learn. I've been there myself and it hurts and then it ends up taking a lot of time and costing a lot of money to uh, go through those legal battles. And important lesson to learn early on when the scale is smaller. Well, Robert, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and lessons on RV Park Investing. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about yeah. what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on here. My company is Climb Capital. So C-L-I-M-B Capital, climbcapital.com has all the in-doc, you know, fill out the form. We'll contact you stuff, of course, on the socials, but personal email is robert at climbcapital.com. And so that's probably the best way is to just send me an email at robert at climbcapital.com. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. 
Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, hit the notification bell. We'll see you here next time. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.